0: Alright, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast Ground, an extension of the first part of this podcast uh, that we went into where we're looking back at December 4th, 1997, Bengals 41, Oilers 14, and Corey Dillon Breaks the all-time rookie rushing record with 246 yards on the ground. It's been a, a fun conversation to this point. Uh we we focused in the first episode a lot about Boomer Syason and and the uh incredible run that he put together and and the ultimate exit as his career wrapped up uh with really this is a centerpiece of a, a remarkable stretch of winning four or five games and putting up huge numbers and Bengals offense was clicking and it was fun. Fans are chanting boomer, boomer inside the stadium. Uh, a lot of focus today, uh, this, this part of the episode, which is just so good. Thanks again to uh, Mo and to Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com for joining us to talk about this because it deserves the focus. We talk a little bit, a lot more about Corey Dillon and, not just this game, but really his career, his legacy, his Hall of Fame candidacy or lack thereof, and just kind of discussing what all of that has been. and it's it's really a remarkable one. So a lot of great discussion here coming up in this. I hope everybody has enjoyed this thus far and and uh, enjoy this show as much as I did. So uh, let's get it going. Imagine, imagine Willie and Corey with a real quarterback. Oh yeah, And how, and how both also. of their cases look different to the committees these days if over from 97 to 2002, there's more than five games with a real quarterback in there. How different? One, they're both in. They're both in. Uh, Ron also refers
1: to, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: I was just going to say Ron Jaworski also refers to uh, Brian Milne as Brian Milne. Yes, Brian Milne. <laughs> and there's a Derek would, Brill. Which when Brian Mill well. pulled when Brian Mill uh, pulled me over when he was a Cincinnati cop, I wish I would have known that. <laughs> I would have called him Officer
1: Milne. <laughs> did, you uh, the, did you see? Did you see on one of those touchdowns by Corey? I I swear to God, I think Willie lined up at left guard.
3: I didn't know. It's that. possible. I mean, there there they were, they were multiple guard. just
0: trucking track trap blocks and pancakes from all of them. But Willie in particular, man, you just see his explosiveness and his athleticism in the run game. Butch, this is a good spot for us to talk about Hall of Fame. Um, Corey, a stat that you have trotted out often, uh, now after this past year when actually twice on the same day guys went over 250, uh, Corey now has two of the top 16 rushing games in NFL history. How often has his case surfaced in sort of the, the orbit of voters? Maybe not, he has not been a finalist. We know that. But, like, how much discussion? You know, Edger and James gets in. So now the deck clears a little bit at the running back position as people wait for, you know, wait, I guess Adrian Peterson's retirement to kind of kick through or, you know. Wh- where is that at? I never heard – I never – you know.
1: I'm like I think I'm I think maybe you and me are the only guy and Jay the only guys me and Mo are the only guys that have maybe talked about it. Yeah, you know I mean I you hear Fred Taylor? I tell you the guy who got a hell of, guy who's got a pretty good case too is Jamal Lewis. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to rings and big games and you know I mean it's although he said you know he broke Corey's record against the Browns which almost shouldn't count but uh, you know there are some guys. You know, Sean Alexander had a big run there. I, th- I think that, that story I did on uh, Cor- uh, on Corey and George, I think I had in there that uh, I think SI.com came against, a, uh, they came out with an anti-Corey case because they looked at Sean Alexander had a bunch of uh, had a bunch of rushing titles. Uh, you know, James has a ring. Um, but if you, you know, it gets back to Dylan's case is when you when you shear it off, it's just as it's just as compelling as those guys. Uh, Maybe, you know, Corey's got a ring. He's also got the big games. Those, those players may have a component of it, but Corey's kind of got all of it. You know, I mean, um, you you know, to me the uh, it's comes back to Paul. What's that quote? I always tell you there's too many, too many good players in there in the hall of fame from great teams and not enough great players who deserve to be in there. From bad or mediocre teams, but that's this is the, that's where
0: I thought Corey would differentiate himself. And you mentioned he has it all. I want to. There's a couple things I want to touch on with his career. Yeah, the has the big games. So he he breaks Peyton's record. He gets two seventy eight. He does it on teams without a quarterback. I mean, the 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 two seventy eight game where there's two completed passes in that game is the most remarkable thing you will ever see. No I, I I stand up to do it without a, a any semblance of a passing game at all. Two for 14 passing is incredible. And one of the greatest things you'll ever see in a football field. That alone won. This game, 246, right? So now you have two of the top 16. He has longevity, right? How many guys have 11,000 yards? Well, here's here's the thing. Longevity and effectiveness, efficiency, okay? There are nine running backs, we're talking post-merger, nine running backs that have at least 10,000 yards. Corey finished his career with 11,241 and averaged at least 4.2 per carry and averaged at least 70 yards a game. So you're doing it on a weekly basis. You're doing it on a per carry basis. You did it on a per year basis over the long haul. Only nine. Corey is on those. Fred Taylor is actually on that. Mm. All the rest are in the Hall of Fame. Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Adrian Peterson, willby Lainian Tomlinson, Eric Dickerson, Tony Dorsett, OJ Simpson. That's the list. And then, Fred Taylor never played in the postseason, had a lot of problems with injuries, never had the run in that Corey had in 04 where he goes for 1600 plus and helps carry a team to a Super Bowl title like he did for New England. So now you you check the postseason box and the ring box and not as a carried along. This isn't, you know, some guy latching on for a ring. This is 1600 yards, 3 games with uh I think he had almost he had over 60 carries in the 3 playoff games and and multiple touchdowns. And the longevity and the and the efficiency on every level. He checks every box. And but he those other nine guys, you know what the difference is between Corey and the other nine guys? They were all drafted in the top ten. Every single one of them. Except Corey, who went 43 overall because of his problems at Washington. He plays on a bad team. He's not huge name coming out of college. And then those numbers become not as impressive. And not even in the conversation. It's 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 really his case is far more legitimate than anybody gives it credit for because no one else is really willing to dig into it. You did. I I just think I think it's and then and then you know and then you get then you look at who's in. Jerome Bettis is the one that stands out. Jerome Bettis averaged three point nine yards per carry. You know they both had a Super Bowl seasons with at least four point five yards per carry and a thousand yards. Dylan had four. Jerome only had two. You know, but he's a stealer, yeah. Right. Well, so you well, got to get a f- in, nickname. And,
1: and that's Corey's, and that's Corey's argument. Corey believes he should be in, and he and his argument is: put me on any of those teams, put me on Pittsburgh, right? Put me in Baltimore, put me on, you know, put me on any of those teams. What would I do? Well, they did. They put him on New England, and look what he did. And look what he did. But, yeah, and 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 the uh, and Jay can look into this. Probably you and Jay and, and Mo, you guys are the uh, you guys are the stat hmm. Um What what uh, what those guys that are in the hall, the running backs in the hall, their games, all their career games, what were the passer ratings of their quarterbacks? Yeah. What were their yards per, what were the yards per attempt of their quarterbacks? Cause there'll never be another season like 2000 where Corey averaged 4.6 yards per and the opening day quarter and his opening day quarterback for the season averaged 4.7 yards per throw ought to be in the hall of fame just off of that season. I'm not,
2: I'm not good at at determining uh, who should or shouldn't be in the hall of fame, but it it is remarkable to me that you say it's never been brought up. And when he retired, I I was just starting my on air career when he retired. And I remember, and I was doing this from a very limited standpoint. I was looking at compiling numbers and you know, those there's, there's great folly in doing that, but I'm like, all right, he has more rushing yards than OJ Simpson. Jim Taylor and Larry Zonkey has more rushing touchdowns than Tony Dorsett. Um, the conversation should be had. If you say he's not a hall of fame after you have the conversation. Okay, fine. I can live with that. But, but the fact that it's so infrequently brought up and, you know, you were talking about Jerome Bettis. I, I, I brought up when I was looking at this, Three contemporaries. You, you, Paul, you mentioned Edron James. Corey Dillon has more yards per attempt than Edron James, who played a significant chunk of his career with a Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the best of all time. Uh, Corey Dillon has more yards per attempt than Jerome Bettis, who didn't even average four yards per attempt. Now Jerome played uh, a long time, right? A lot of longevity, and he got a ring. Uh, uh, Terrell Davis. Now Terrell Davis tragically, you know, couldn't couldn't play. Exceptionally long, and and he had an, an incredibly, very good but extraordinarily brief run as the best player on some really good Denver teams. But we let him in despite the fact there's no longevity. So if I say, well, Corey had longevity, you can't go. Well, longevity doesn't. You know, you've got to reward longevity, especially if you're going to put the guy in who um, didn't have a very long career at all. And then you mentioned the the, the two iconic games. And you know, Paul said something that I I think is important. I think there's a lot of perhaps less people who vote on this and more just fans who kind of view the the 04 thing as oh yeah, Corey went to a team that was in the middle of a dynasty run. They had won it the year before. He latched on, he got a ring. He was the best player on that team. Mm-hmm. Like Tom Brady that year was fine, and Tom Brady's, you know, the best of all time. But Tom Brady's best target that year was David Givens. Corey Dillon was the best football player on the 04 Patriots who went 14 and two. Um he he had a, a 100 yard playoff game i don't know man that 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 resume is really damn good and and if you want to look at the resume and say ah, i'm just not feeling it fine there's people who know a hell of a lot more about me who are qualified to say yay or nay but the fact that the conversation is so easily dismissed outside of our little circle is astounding to me
1: it's yeah, it's, it's, it's again it's it's the whole it's the reason why anthony's the only guy in there
0: right it's it is it's 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 that it it and Willie Anderson ends up in the same conversation because so much of their career was spent in the dead years where nobody paid attention until they randomly showed up and you know and and didn't know how to pronounce anybody's name.
3: <laughs> it is it's the small market thing, and then I wonder too because Butch, you're in the room, but I don't know if it's an an overt conversation. But how, I mean, do you think there's kind of a little bit of a bias? Corey wasn't a A media darling by any means he was really surly with the media he he didn't do a lot of endorsement things and if you're in a small market you need to kind of have that that big personality to get national recognition and do you think guys that are difficult with the media kind of get dinged a little bit when it comes to this process
1: if if you uh i mean i think it all comes down to exposure yeah so if a guy doesn't do a lot of if a guy doesn't do a lot of stuff yeah, you get thing because you don't have the exposure. And, you know, there were times, you know, I mean, there were a lot of times Corey just didn't want to do some of this stuff too. I think he felt like, hey, I'm good. I shouldn't have to, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, Corey was a pretty – down to it. Corey was a meat and potatoes guy. Hey, I'm, I'm just going to go out and play. And if you don't like me, fine. And if you do, great. You know, which I, I, I admire in the guy. I mean, I you know, I think the whole thing about the media, I mean, Jesus. I mean, if To get in, and you know, some of these guys that get in, you know, there ha- there have been some non-media darlings get in. No doubt,
0: it it helps. But they got to do more. He, I yeah, I mean, when I remember, t- I remember talking to Corey when he kind of first started kind of resurfacing a few years ago around the fiftieth campaign. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he talked about, you know, it's frustrating for him. He's like, and I'm not going to say this is the reason why, but how many guys that are sitting on a desk for an NFL program got to get in the damn Hall of Fame? You know, and it's like that is. It may not be a big part, but when you're when you're splitting hairs amongst resumes, like you would with Corey Dillon and Fred Taylor and Jamal Lewis and, and guys like that, versus the Terrell Davises of the world and the Jerome Bettises of the world, when you're that can be the difference. That exposure, that that winning over a, a, a couple of voters here or there, and thinking about their case and who they were more often more glowingly. And I think Corey suffered from that. And, you know, we kind of laughed. But there's a scene – the, there's a part at the end of this game <laughs> where uh, P.J. Combs, who is a, a, a Bengals PR guy, a young P.J. Combs, is sitting on the bench – as the game is ending, trying to convince Corey to do media. Can you imagine being like, (laughs) I'm not going to talk to anyone after I just went for 246 and broke the rookie record? But that's kind of how Corey was just like, ah, man, do I really got to do that? I mean, look, I just, I did my thing. It should be all good. And I actually text old PR man Jack Brennan about it. He said he he couldn't get Corey to do it either, but luckily at the end of the day, Kajana Carter of all people stepped in and said, come on, Corey, you got to do it. And he ends up doing it, but it was almost, he didn't, he almost didn't talk to the media after this game, which is kind of, uh, you know, th- makes this game quintessential Corey in every way.
3: He didn't Honestly, the day I after it. either. Yeah. I, I, butch, I, I, it, was a, it was a shared notebook. I went back and looked for the follow stories because this was a night game and it's hard to get everything in the next day yeah. for a, from a night game. So I went back and looked at the Saturday stories and it was a shared notebook. So I don't know if it was you or Haft, but Corey didn't talk to anybody. With the media availability, and one of you guys waited him out in the parking lot, and you were talking to him in the parking lot, I think going we to his know car. That
0: was <laughs>
3: <laughs> and Corey still wouldn't say anything. He's like, yeah, it, "It was a good game. I'm on to the next. I'm looking forward. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. I want to rehash it." I mean, it, he's like 12 hours off of a record-breaking Jim Brown's record, and he's just like, "Ah, just it was just a good game."
1: You know, Corey was his own guy, and you really got to, uh, you know, you got to appreciate that. I honestly, I think when it comes to the Hall. These guys, I think the tiebreaker, Paulie. I think it's. Did you win a ring? Right. You know. That's and I why. Just, I, but and, 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 you know what?
0: and I've heard that argument. Yes. So then, what's yeah, the argument he
1: here? Yes, he did. Right. So what's the argument uh, I'm, here? I'm talking about. I'm talking about generally. The yeah. argument here is that. The argument here is that. You know, uh, probably didn't endear himself. Right. To a lot of media folks and the, the lack of exposure. But how you can say a guy wins a ring with Tom Brady and he's got a lack of exposure? I don't get that either. So somehow Corey doesn't fit that box either. I mean, I don't know how many guys, and uh, you know, have uh, lead you know are one franchise's all-time leading rusher and hold a single season, you know, rushing record for another team. I mean, that's to me, that's. Uh,
0: you can turn the phone off, Butch, anytime. <laughs> you can just leave it on mute if you want. Sorry, about that. <laughs> that I, <laughs> by, I mean, by the that, way,
2: Edron James did not win a ring. No. Right. And so, yes, uh, you know, I mean, and again, a right. phenomenal career. I, I wonder because you you guys talk about he what it was exposure, like. Exposure, but he had the
1: exposure with Manning.
3: Yeah, sure,
2: yeah, but but you know, you guys you guys talk about his surliness with the media. You know, like Jerome Bettis is probably revered in Pittsburgh. I don't know that among Bengals fans, Corey Dillon himself is revered. The you know the rushing, uh, the, the the two games in which he sets records; those are iconic moments, but. You know, he was the I'd rather flip burgers than play here guy. Mm -hmm. He was the guy Coslett's last game where he takes his helmet off and basically refuses to go back into the game. Those things never bothered me, and I'm sure they never bothered a lot of people, but they did bother a ton of folks. And so, you know, again, does fan perception push a guy in the canton? Probably not. But I, I do wonder how much it hurts his cause that in the town in which he played the most in, with the franchise he's most identified with, I don't know that he is a beloved character, and I think it's going to be really interesting as you know we we go down the 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 Ring of Honor thing in in subsequent years after this one to see um, how long it takes for him to get in. I, I don't know that he is as celebrated by fans in large part because he played mostly for really terrible teams, but 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 also you know if, if he's if he's prickly with the media, he's not necessarily endearing himself to fans. They're not wrapping their arms around him. Thus, there's not much of a public push or much of a public a public conversation about his Hall of Fame candidacy. And I I wonder how much of that hurts his case.
0: All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor.
1: Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories of pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our
0: latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign
1: up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.
0: So, I mean, so much of the Corey discussion with any fans that you talk to now and that, that I – hear from is how much they loved 278 right mm-hmm. it was that game man that was so great and almost gloss over or totally forget the fact that he did that type of stuff for so long here it's like it's almost like they define him as one game even forgetting this one Yeah, in a lot and, of ways.
2: and even if even if you go back to
0: 03 and 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 Butch and Jay, you're certainly
2: more qualified than I am to talk about this, but but there was this sense that he wasn't completely on board with Marvin Lewis, and in 2003, Marvin Lewis owned this town, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he got hurt that year, and Rudy played really well in the second half of the season, but there was this sense of hey, the franchise finally turning around, and this dude's not on board, and and I I I feel like there's a lot of fans that just in the back of their mind they they hold against him the fact that. Uh, he wasn't a great teammate, which they have no evidence of, or he wasn't completely on board with being a Bengal, which there's a lot of, a lot of guys he would have company with there. Those things to me should have nothing to do with hall of fame candidacy. The numbers speak for themselves. Again, he is deserving of, of having a, a conversation among people who could do something about it. And it's remarkable to me that, that Butch said uh, that really hasn't been the case. I think time heals.
1: I think here in town, I think Mo, you ran through it very well there. Uh, you know, what the attitude was in 04, 03. I think it's tempered a little bit. I think Corey's tempered a little bit. I think, you know, I think, you know, for a long time he was angry at a lot of things. I don't think he is now. I think he's got the, the, uh, the gift of age and wisdom. And, uh, I, I remember when he came back, I mean, he felt like that was big for him mm-hmm. to come back. Willie had to talk him to coming back. And he says, listen, we love you. The fans love you. You know, because I think he wasn't too short. And, yeah. um, you know, I think Corey really liked the experience of, of, of coming back. I mean, I, I know I talked to him. He felt he was very we felt very welcomed by the fans. And, uh, you know, I think his last act as a Bengal, right, was to throw his right. uniform into the stands. Right. But I yeah. think. And that 50th, I think a guy, a fan brought back the helmet and had him sign it.
3: <laughs> I got to go
1: back and find the story. But I think that that, that was, uh, which to me kind of is fitting. It's, you know, it's full circle. You know, I mean, I think, I think Corey, I think Corey Dillon gets in the ring. I, I do. I think he's yeah. a, uh, I think he's become, a, I think he's, I think time, 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 time tempers everyone. Yeah. And I, Think that's going to be the case with? I think it is the case with uh, Corey.
2: Real, really quick. Uh, in in 2000, when he broke uh, the all-time single-game rushing record, uh, I was the engineer of Bengals line at I believe Damon's in Sharonville, and somehow, some way, they convinced Corey to come out, and he was awesome. And what I remember most about it is Bruce Coslett resigned three or four games into the season. Bruce Coslett called in. And talk to Corey Dillon and remember Bruce's last game, they got whacked by Baltimore. Corey refused to go back on the field. It was ugly. It was bad. And, uh, but he was great. And he was awesome with fans. I mean, I remember him signing autographs and sticking around and talking to people. And and that was rare. Uh, I did that for three years. It it was rare that whoever the player guest was that day would be as engaging as he was on air, but mainly off. And so, when I would hear people talk about him being surly or, uh, aloof. And I, I would, I would draw back upon that experience and go, God, what I saw was, was anything, but what I saw was a guy who just set a record that may never be broken. It obviously has since. And, uh, here he is out at some dumpy bar in Sharonville. Um, and he could not have been friendlier or nicer or more positive. And so I, I, I have that memory. And so, yeah, for me, I'd put him in the hall of fame.
1: Oh, I won- I- All I can say is he was, all I can say from a, he was, he was always great with me. He was accessible. He was polite. He was engaging. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I, but you know, you get in the bubble and sometimes you can't see outside the bubble, but that was my, you know, Corey had, Corey had a tough, you know, Corey had a tough, he didn't have it easy. Like a lot of guys, you know, and uh, I just, you know, or like some guys, I mean, it was a it was a tough road for him, and I I think that uh, you know I don't know I I just uh, I'm with I'm with you know Maul I think he's uh, I think he gets in.
0: Yeah, uh, one other element to tie a bow on the uh, Corey cut talk here is so the 1997 Rookie of the Year uh, award comes out, and honestly, I had to do a double take and dive deeper in to figure out how anybody beat him on it. We mentioned, I mean. This is not even a conversation if, you know, Bruce plays him at all in the first part of the season, you know, and so basically Bruce Coslett steals rookie of the year award from Corey Dillon is really the the headline here. Uh, But you you end up with his stats in comparison to Warwick Dunn, who does win. They're the only two main competitors in this when you really look at it, unless you're a big Jake Plummer's 15 interceptions fan. Uh, But he ends up yards per game even despite all the games he plays and only rushes like four times or something like that early in the season he still averages 70.6 yards per game work done 61 he averages 4.8 yards per attempt that season work done 4.4 he racks up 1129 total work done 978 uh total touchdowns R- rushing and receiving cory 10 to 7 work done as you remember i mean top 12 pick super explosive rusher receiver marshall falk mode type of guy he has a really explosive year catching the ball you know he has he ends up with 462 yards receiving and 11.8 yards per reception so yards from scrimmage that year are 1440 for work done cory caught Actually averaged 9.6 per reception as well, so he had a really good year receiving the ball too. He didn't do it as much, uh, but he was solid. So he ends up, Corey, with, let's see, 52 yards less than Warwick Dunn, yards from scrimmage total, but three more touchdowns uh, and did it in half a season. Tampa Bay goes 10-6. Bengals end up 7-9, and nine and we're totally, you know, they were out of it from the beginning and kind of forgotten. That ends up being the difference, really. Team success and the flashiness of work done as a top twelve pick, and his highlights were flashy. He was super fast. Um, end up tipping the scales to him, but I don't know, man. It's it's really one extra game that Bruce plays Corey, and we're probably talking <laughs> about this being a different way.
3: The 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 record. Uh, the one thing that I w- really stood out in this watching this game because it became it became apparent that maybe they weren't going to play him anymore and then i think word got down to the sideline that he was close and they brought him back in the the record breaking run um he only needed a couple yards to get it the the oilers are basically in goal line formation at midfield like there's <laughs> no way you're going to get this and they blow open a hole and, and he runs for 10 yards and that's the record-breaking run. And it was a cool scene seeing the, the offensive lineman mob him. And then when they pulled him out of the game, first person off the sideline was Kajana to congratulate him. um I, I, That was just kind of a really cool scene. And I had to do some stats here. I, I do some trivia for you guys. do you Everybody knows Jim Brown's record lasted for 40 years before Corey broke it. Do you know who's record Corey broke in terms of since the 1970 merger who had the most rookie rushing yards mm. in a game mm. In a single game. I don't,
1: uh, the guy from the Rams, uh, no.
3: Eric Dickerson? Eric Dickerson? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was Bo Jackson. You know, Bo Jackson. I mean, Bo Jackson. Yeah. Wow. Bo Jackson, 221 yards in 1987. Um, and then, Is that the Seattle game where he ran over Brian Bosworth? Oh, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Oh. I, I don't have the opponent from that game. I was, but uh,
1: I was thinking of Willie Ellison, but I, I don't think he was a look.
3: Corey's numbers only been eclipsed by five other rookies since, so he's still he's sixth in terms of rush single game rushing yards for rookies.
1: I mean, that's well, the thing. Those two games, those were not fly by night records. One was forty years old, right? And then Walters was one of the great records in sports that was on, it was for twenty three years. I mean, he held it for twenty three years. So I yeah. mean, it was it wasn't just like uh, I mean Corey's didn't last that long, but I mean um, the two records he broke, smash. And then I think Anderson, I think Mike Anderson broke. His rookie record, I think, in two thousand.
0: I think. Uh, what I love about it this was. is it takes until he's only thirteen yards away for the announcers to even mention it. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like there's nine minutes left. He's thirteen yards away, and they're like, ah, uh, wow. Looks like Corey Dillon could maybe break the rookie rushing record. Like they just were totally unaware that this was even a possibility. It was remarkable on the
1: phone, and then now, that, now they would have had Jim Brown on the phone for the last ten. Yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> and, and and what's remarkable about the TV broadcast is not only that, where that's at that point, that's the only story of the game. It's so, it's so lopsided. They've covered the Boomer angle, like it's can Corey break this record, but it's also really interesting to me how, in the second half of a blowout. Late in the season, when playoff races are starting to form, Patrick and Theismann basically stick to Bengals v. Oilers. There's very little discussion about what else is happening in the league. You know, they spend like two minutes on Barry Sanders because uh, there's a a promo for the Lions are going to be on Sunday Night Football or something, and that's it. Like, if you watch this game and wanted some insight into what was happening in the NFL in early December 1997, you don't get it. There's no discussion of, I mean, they they show like where the Oilers are in relation to the teams they're chasing for a wild card. There's no discussion of rookie of the year, possible MVP, all the sort of things that come out in a, in a lopsided game where the announcers start to stray from what's happening on the field and start talking about other stuff like Theismann and Patrick are breaking down individual plays when it's 38 zip. (laughs) Like, all right, that to me is as a bit of a broadcasting nerd. That's fascinating. Along with the fact that the only story in that game at that point became Dylan chasing a record that they were completely oblivious to. That
0: is remarkable to me. My other favorite part of this is, I mean, at one point it's not. I mean, it's uh, it's a blowout, but it's not totally gone. I think it was right at twenty-eight to nothing. They have a legitimate discussion. Should they put Dave Craig in? And I'm like, what? (laughs) Is this real? Like you're you're really gonna talk about like maybe Dave Craig could come save the day? Like he's Frank Reich or something? I mean, I I, I was I was astounded by that.
1: You know, I forgot also too something I completely forgot was uh, he comes up with the he comes up with a sprained toe. Corey comes yeah. up with the spring, and I, and how many people? I wonder how many people are are their minds going? back? oh my God, is he going to be able to come back? Is he having this great game? Is he done? Is he you know how many people are probably. Flashing back to icky Woods or something, you know. I mean, that was uh, forget all about that. That he and then he came came back and he and he he played.
0: I can tell you, Kajana definitely wanted Corey to come back so he (laughs) stopped stop having to (laughs) run out there and getting booed mercilessly. By the (laughs) so
2: did the forty nine thousand eighty six fans there at the uh, park that
1: night. Yeah, you know, Mo, you may have the ticket stub. He may have broken Peyton's record with that ticket stub you hold from December twelfth, ninety nine. Which is the last game at uh, Synergy against against the Browns? The Browns. Yeah, yeah. And Corey went. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he had 192 yards at the end of the third quarter, and Bruce took him out. Yeah, because we have to play the Browns twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I wanted to run through a few other things. Uh, wildest current connection, one that you pointed out to me yesterday, Butch. Current Bengals cornerbacks coach Steve Jackson. Has a sack in this game and is a safety for the Oilers. And he and he and he gets ripped off on
1: that play on that running into the kicker.
0: Yeah, they, uh, yeah.
1: I think he's the guy who ran into the kicker. Yeah. By the way, I was wondering how many how many times would Darren Simmons, the Bengals special teams coordinator, how many times would he have gone ballistic in that game? They might have had to have <laughs> carried him off if uh, Simi had coached that game. But uh, yeah, no, J- yeah, Jackson was in that game. I've talked to him a little bit about that game about trying to tackle uh tackle cory uh i thought he had i thought he had started that game but it looks like he was kind of rotating there yeah but uh yeah steve edelon you know steve played i think seven years with those guys eight years yeah i think the last game he ever played was that super uh was the super bowl game
0: yeah A- another nugget from this game uh in the making me feel old category uh you have john runyon and bruce matthews there for the uh, Oilers on their offensive line with well, John Runyon Jr currently playing for the Eagles. Bruce Matthews has multiple kids that are already including Jake Matthews who've been in the league. Kevin his son Kevin's been in and out of the league. Uh you know, you've got you've like their whole line has just had kids who are just turned into monsters in the league, which is great.
3: Hey, did you notice, I, I talked earlier about the parallels between the, the 90 playoff game and this, The the creepy white van was replaced with the creepy Suburban? <laughs> no. There was a, it was not in the corner of these end, end zone. It was right behind one of the goalposts. It was this big Suburban just sitting back there behind the end zone. And day was wearing like these mini stilts. I don't know why they had a mascot on mini stilts, but you would see him out there after extra points doing his thing. And it's like, who, who thought that was a good idea to put a mascot on stilts? wow (laughs) (laughs) and the misspelled jungle banner was that was one of my favorites that's unfortunate
0: (laughs) that's you probably should know how to spell jungle at this point (laughs) there's no doubt uh what is um what's kind of the most lasting moment for you guys when you kind of think back to is there is there that you'll kind of take away from this as we wrap it up
3: Corey could have and maybe should have had five touchdowns the second touchdown mm-hmm. that they scored they do a play fake to him and it's wide open but it was one of those patented boomer play fakes where he faked everybody out and threw the touchdown pass to tony mcgee and um Corey scored the first touchdown mcgee had the second and then i think Corey had the next three um but he, he very easily could have had five touchdowns in that game butch
1: Hey, no, I just I thank you guys for uh getting me involved in this for so I could go back and watch it because I never would have might have been one of the, you know, next to last things I ever would have done. <laughs> uh, but to go back and watch that game. And I was glad I did. And uh, I guess it's just uh the way the offensive line uh you know surged around them after he got it. Mm. And I think also too, I think I think Jim Anderson, I think the running backs coach, I think he's the guy that let Bruce know, I think, that uh he was uh he was, he was close to the record, and Jimmy got him back in.
0: I can almost hear Jeff Hobson in the press box that night. Run the ball.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 if you think I'm going to say, if you think I'm going to say that on September 12th, you should have heard it on the September 12th. <laughs> but, Uh Because look at how many times they did. Um, it was interesting. Shot. You know, f- talk about feeling old. How about the enemy who's probably going to be yeah. an NFL head coach sometime soon? you know, playing at that game. And, um, you know, uh, I guess, I I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing to think, you know, since I'm old, it seems like it was last Thursday night. Yeah. No, I mean, it goes, it goes fast kids.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's yours, Mo?
2: You know, it, it just watching this reminded me, we, we make fun of the nineties and, understandably so, but, but there, there were these, especially 95, 96, 97, there were these like small little glimmers of, of hope that the Bengals provided. Um, there was Shake and Blake. There was the way they played at the end of the 96 season after they uh, got rid of Dave Shula. And it was a lot of fun to be a Bengals fan. Those last five weeks of 1997, there was the fact that they won some games there was the nostalgia of Boomer coming back and the, you know, the the intrigue that, that that provided thinking about maybe him being the quarterback moving forward. And there was Corey Dillon doing this that night. And I, I, I remember the night vividly. I mean, I, I just, I remember being so excited being there. I remember being so excited about the Bengals have a guy, Corey Dillon, who's, you know, we have a franchise back, right? Um, because if you remember, there was a stretch in the mid nineties where they would always show it on TV, like number of games since the Bengals have had a 100 yard rusher, it had mm-hmm. been forever. And it was like, all right, we don't have to hear about that crap anymore. Um, but I, I just, what, when, when I, when I, when I think of the Bengals in the nineties, these are the sort of moments I think of, cause they were so few and far between and fleeting. And they always ended up in, you know, um, not, not, not necessarily being anything the franchise built on, but, but I, I, I do I do think often of games like this moments like this where something cool happened and it made you feel like the franchise was about to turn around. And while it didn't for a long time in those moments, they were a lot of fun. They were a lot of fun to watch and, and uh, to a degree be a part of.
0: They meant more when the team was bad the rest of the time. Like it it felt it it just, it, it had an extra excitement and an extra enjoyment level when you'd seen so many bad games. It was such a, pleasant surprise to go feel like things were actually moving in the right direction. I think, I, you know, I think for me, it's watching Dylan celebrate getting it with all his offensive linemen and like that, mm. that joy of, of it felt like the linemen had done it, you know, like like then yeah. they did, but it was like their award and it, and it, and their night. And I thought that was pretty cool for a bunch of guys who had started one and seven toiled and, felt like they found something to be on national TV to get the announcers to, by the end of it, actually be pronouncing their names correctly <laughs> and, and recognizing what they had done and what Corey had done and kind of establishing themselves a little bit. I'll remember that and and PJ begging Corey to, to do media <laughs> unveiling. <laughs> uh, guys, thanks so much for doing this. It's a ton of fun. I enjoy doing these. And uh, this was a good one to look back on and uh we we will we will have to we will have to do it again sometime anytime
1: yeah. anytime thanks guys really i would love it.
0: to yep absolutely have a good one everybody thanks for, thanks everybody for listening this we'll talk to you next time We had a podcast.